Psalm 124. We are being discipled by the Psalms of Ascent this summer, and the, the Psalms of Ascent are this collection of Psalms, Psalm 120 through 134, and it's just giving up a portrait of the ordinary Christian life of how God is at work leading his people from, from a world that goes not well to his presence in Jerusalem. And of course, we, we are going from a world that goes not well to Jesus, <laughs> uh, to the Alpha and the Omega, the, the one who's coming down to us. And so, along that journey, as we're going to read, there are troubles, and that's what Psalm 124 helps us with. And so we'll read it, and we'll meditate on this together. This is the word of our God. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us, and then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. And this is God's word. He has spoken to us today in love. Uh, His word is true and trustworthy. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, as the psalmist just taught us, if if you were not on our side, we would be lost. We'd be swallowed up by death. We would have been swallowed up by our sin. And so as we meditate on on this psalm this morning, Lord, I pray not only would you show us Jesus, uh, who is our help, uh, but your Holy Spirit would come and and soften our hearts uh, to make this reality um, ever-present with us in our hearts, uh, that that we would know by your Spirit we are your sons and daughters, and that you have sworn by the death of your Son to never leave us alone. And so, Holy Spirit, come and teach us. Uh, Illumine the eyes of our hearts to see the wondrous things that are contained in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the the book of Ruth uh, begins with a family who moves to a place called Moab from Israel because there's a, a famine in the land, right? This is the time of the judges. Something's gone not well, they're, they're hungry, and so they pack up their family and leave. And if you remember, uh, the wife, her name is Naomi, which means pleasant. Uh, her husband was Elimelech, which means my God is king. And so you put those two names together, right? you kind of have this portrait that my God is king, and the ideal would be a pleasant life together. Um, Pleasant and my God is king have two sons, Malon and Chilion. Their names mean weak and frail, right? Wimpy and more wimpy. Um, But when they get to Moab, the the boys get married, and then tragedy strikes the family, and Naomi's husband dies, and both of her sons die. And then you're left with, Naomi's left with, as a widow, a grieving mother, no future. She's functionally alive but her life is dead. 
She has no welfare system outside of husbands or sons. And so you hear what Naomi's heart when she says to her daughters-in-law as she tries to send them away as she goes back home defeated, sad. She said, it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the Lord's hand is against me. It's the complete opposite of Psalm 124. And then she goes on to say, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, bitter, because the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. See, for Naomi, the black clouds of God's providence, uh, God's power, have completely darkened her joy, her ability to see God's shining face upon her. Uh, She's a bird trapped in the snares of sorrow, swallowed up by grief. And so I start with Naomi because how do you think Naomi would hear her great-grandson's prayer that we just read? Right? If the Lord had not been on my side, we would not have survived. Bless the Lord. Right? Calling for faith, calling for praise. Uh, I'm putting some words into her mouth, but it wouldn't be surprised to hear her say something like, yeah, he may be on your side, but he certainly hasn't been on mine. The Lord's hand has been against me. We'll come back to Naomi. But this is, this is the battle for faith. See, every Jesus follower faces a battle that when you go through the kind of trouble that David describes here in Psalm 124, you go, God, where are you? Are you going to show up? Um, and when you're in the midst of it, as you are that bird trapped in the snare saying, oh no, I can't get out. The question comes, God, are you on my side? Right? And so in those moments, that's what some of the other psalms help us with. We cry, we lament, we get angry. Uh, we have questions. Does God care? Does God see me? Right? You know, the, the, the famous question, is God good? Or, or is he just not all-powerful? Or is he all-powerful? Or is he just not good? Right? And so it's into our cynical or suffering and skeptical hearts that we get a psalm like one, Psalm 124. Because what David does, who's been through some very real trauma, we'll talk about what it is, um, you have someone who's just giving you the facts. He's saying, look, if God was not on my side, hey, everybody, join me in this, <laughs> this refrain. If God was not on my side, right, we'd be doomed. And so what Psalm 124 is going to help us do is be, be realistic with our faith, uh, to be honest, and to, it's calling us to join in the testimony, right? to add our testimony to David's, to join in the gratitude, to join in the, to, to join in the, the joy. And in doing so, as you meditate on the facts of what happened, right, over time, right? not immediate, <laughs> for sure, what happens is your bitterness uh, starts to get the medicine of the gospel. Our, our cynicism, cynicism can be healed. And so let's, let's meditate on this, because we do need help. Uh, point one, the battle for gratitude. Um, so this is a, a psalm full of thanks, full of honor for the Lord. But notice who's writing the psalm. He's calling us to trust. Uh, it's David, King David. Um, we aren't 100% sure. One of the beauties of 
these prayers is they don't nail down a particular situation, a lot of them. They're, they're generic enough that we can make these prayers our own. So we don't really know why, what David was like, whew, barely made it out of that one if it wasn't for God's help. I mean, really, you could take this psalm and apply it to any part of Israel's story. Uh, you could look at the story of Egypt and being enslaved and God intervening and coming and dragging them out by grace and grace alone. You could look at when uh, Assyria came knocking on their doorsteps, and, and, and this is in Kings, and he chases away an army for them. Right? This is in the time of Hezekiah. You can look at even the time of Babylon when Israel was bullied and they're taken into exile. Right? If God had not been on our side, we would have disappeared. Right? And so, but most likely what David is remembering, this, this is what I think, right? this is the best guess, is he's letting everyone know how close they came to destruction at the very beginning of King David's reign in 2 Samuel 5. Right? David became king in the midst of a war between Israel and the Philistines. Right? He became king after Saul. You remember Saul? All right? Saul, who had, was jealous of David's success. Saul, who was the king, who started out really well and everybody had high hopes, and then he quickly fell off the, <laughs> fell off the path. And so, so jealous of David, he's flinging spears at him. He's hunting him with an army. David's living in caves. But David is so honorable, he refuses to take the king's life, uh, even though he has opportunity oh, several times to sneak up on him. He says, it's not up to me to force God's hand to go against the Lord's king. Well, Saul has to deal with the Philippines. He and his sons, they go into battle and Saul is killed. It's a humiliating death, if you remember, or they humiliate him after death, because what they do is they cut off Saul's head and his three sons Mount them on a wall and let everyone know the Philistines are here. They're in charge. So to the Philistines, it looks like um, Israel's no longer a threat, but then David becomes king. And it says in 2 Samuel 5, they come up looking for David, ready to, they're ready to cut off the head of this new upstart, this new king. Who does he think he is? Right? They have superior numbers and technology. More than once, it says they're camped out and spread out in this massive valley. It's like a tidal wave of terror ready, just looming to sweep away Israel. Of course, David says, Lord, should I go fight them? And God says, yes, I'll be with you. And it's really brief. It just says, and the Lord broke through them. He broke through their enemies like a flood. And they won. And so... The scholars think that this is what David is reflecting on here. Look at how close they came to being destroyed in war. Right? If, if, God had not been, if the Lord hadn't been our defender, if the Lord had not been our covenant keeper, we would have been swallowed up alive by this threat. Right? And so this is a, a call to confidently declare that the Lord is on your side to give witness, and to not keep it to yourself, right? David, as the king, he's like the, the worship leader. He's calling all of Israel to join in, to say, hey, this benefited you too. Join me, right? And so, same thing for us. When God intervenes, when Jesus protects, when Jesus provides, we get to invite others into that celebration, right? So, 
Let's look a little bit more closely. How much danger was David and Israel actually in? Because we get four images of danger here, all equally terrifying. Right? Verse 3. It says, the people rose up against us. They would have swallowed us up alive. Talk about a graphic picture. You're supposed to imagine, I think, some kind of creature that is big enough to swallow you whole. Think Jonah and the big fish. Um, Or in our popular imagination, right? A dragon, right? Something big enough to swoop down, scoop you up. You're just an appetizer, right? And dragons actually are part of the story of danger in the scriptures, right? Because dragons are serpents all grown up. Uh, The serpent of Genesis 3. And serpents, right? Snakes, if you've seen a snake eat something, what's it do? Massively opens its jaws and you can say goodbye to that mouse. Right? It's a symbol of greed, a symbol of appetite never satisfied. And so what David is saying is we were in the maw, in the giant gaping mouth of this creature, about to be swallowed alive. Right? You can feel the anxiety as you're looming, looking down into the, the throat of this beast. Right? Revelation 12 gives a great picture of that as, it, as John is shown a, a, a retelling of the Christmas story when Jesus is born. Remember? Remember that in Revelation 12? There's this great red dragon with seven heads, ten horns, seven diadems. There at the birth of Jesus, and it says this dragon is just standing at the foot of the mother who's about to give birth to the child. He's just ready to eat this kid. And then the rest of the story is like, look at how close he came to death. And God protected. And so what David is saying, right, the armies surrounding us were like a creature ready to devour us. And then he moves on to another image, the image of a flood. Uh, We've all seen those images of, of people getting rescued because the waters rose so fast they didn't have a chance to get out and then either a helicopter or boats have to come in and rescue them. Right? He uses that image to say if, if God hadn't intervened, we would have been just swamped by our, by, the, by our enemies. We wouldn't have made it. To get swept away, the over, gone by the raging waters. Um, verse 6, here's another one. He did not let us be prey for their teeth. So it's another graphic picture of, of our enemies being beastly. Um, We read it in Romans 8. We're like sheep being slaughtered. Um, To be a Christian at times, in particular places, in the world and throughout history, right? God's people feel like prey, feel like a helpless animal with nowhere else to run. I'm just here to feed somebody with more power than me. We're we're now chicken owners, so we got to think about these things. (laughs) Right? Look up how many things want to eat chickens. Snakes, rats want the, the eggs, mink, fisher, bobcats. Uh, raccoons are smart enough just to reach through the fence and just grab the chicken and then drag it out and eat it, <laughs> right? We've seen coyotes in our back, in our back field. Um, David is getting that kind of mental image into, our, into the people's head and saying, look, you're like a chicken, helpless, unless God defends you. He did not let us be prey for their teeth. 
And then in verse 8, it's, it's, you can see how graphic it is because we were like a bird who escaped from the snare of the fowlers. The snare was broken and we've escaped. So it's, if you've seen the snares, right, it's like a rope around, around the, the bird and you're, you're trapped and there's no way to get out unless somebody actually lets the bird out. Right? And so the whole psalm is one, one image after another saying, this was our fate, this was our future, but God. But God intervened. And this is a portrait of the ordinary battles we face, face um, as we journey with Jesus. We have hazards and horrors to deal with. Right? And in those moments, what this psalm is calling us to do is to, to not miss out on the fact that God has been with you every step of the way, protecting you. Right? He's asking us to take an honest look at our lives and say, how has the invisible God, the maker of heaven and earth, made his help visible? Right? Do you see it? Can you say our help is in the name of the Lord? The creator of the cosmos, the power of his grace has kept me safe thus far. As it says in the message, Eugene Peterson, right? Oh, blessed be God, he didn't go off and leave us. He didn't abandon us defenseless. He didn't leave us helpless as a rabbit in the midst of a pack of snarling dogs. It's his paraphrase there, verse, verse 6. Right? Do you, ha- do you have that, ab- that kind of testimony, that kind of story to tell as a Christian? Right? It starts when you meet Jesus, for sure, but then it's every step of the way. He promises to keep you safe, uh, to, to deliver you, to, to carry you through. So what keeps us from doing that? And so often what happens, right? Naomi's story happens. Bitterness creeps in or anger rages up. Maybe you can relate to, to Job, to Job's wife, I should say. Right? Job's wife, after losing her children, losing their wealth, looks at Job and says, if this is, God treat, this is how God is going to treat you. Right? Force you to deal with death. Just curse God and die. Right? She's angry that God would allow hard things to happen for sadness to come. Anger creeps in. I mean, that's, that's how, it's what's in the human heart, right? We, we wonder, I'm, I know I'm not alone in, in feeling like this. God, why would you let this happen to me? After all my good works, I've, I've served you faithfully. Why would you let this painful thing happen? Right? Or maybe you're like Naomi, just blindsided by, by the sudden tragedy, and you're just stuck in bitterness, right? She says, call me bitter. You know what this is like. This is like coming in uh, after being outside, right? You're working in 100-degree heat, right? You need something cold and refreshing, and you go to the fridge, and you pour a nice ice-cold glass of milk, and you take a swig, and it's bitter, <laughs> right? And it just turns, your whole being just goes, ugh, right? For Naomi, for her, right, the Lord was pleasant, and now her experience is that turned milk. So he's bitter to me. I'm in the valley of the shadow of death, and the shadow is blocking the light of God's face. 
So how can I say thank you when it doesn't feel like he's on my side? Right? And this is where Psalm 124 helps us. Because it's not persuasion per se, though I think that's a side effect of the psalm. David is just laying out the facts of what happened and letting the Lord do the work on our anger, cynicism, doubt, and and bitterness. Right? He's just saying life isn't safe. We found ourselves trapped. Look at how the Lord intervened. Right? Look at what God has done. Look at the concrete historical details. If there was no Lord, uh, if he did not cry out for help and he did not hear us, we'd be history. We'd be gone. And so I think it's helpful. You can look at Psalm 124 like a gospel testimony. It's simply an account of the facts. The word gospel means good news. uh, But in the ancient world, especially by the time of Jesus, it's a kind of literature where people would send out gospel messages just It was an announcement of something good that changed. An announcement of a historical reality. Be like, hey, we have a new king. You know, that guy that was slaughtering babies like Herod? He's gone, we have a new guy, he's better. That's that's a gospel, right? And all it does is call you to respond to the historical change, to the historical facts, right? Caesar Augustus, uh, the the Roman emperor when, when Jesus was born, he sent out a notice to the worldwide emperor. And part of it, there's one little line in there. It's hilarious. He says, uh, my birth for the world was gospel, right? So there, you can put that on your birthday card this year, right? The world should be grateful that I am here, right? Because I exist and that is good news. So what Psalm 124 is doing is saying, look, this is a historical account told through, through poetic language that God intervened. We're alive. We should have been dead. God did that. Right? And just let that gratitude work its way into your heart. And let, right? now, I've, I've used this illustration before, but Bethany and I had the opportunity this back when I thought I was going to be a missionary. Uh, we went to northwestern Uganda uh, in January. I didn't know this was going to happen, but they had their annual Ebenezer New Year celebration. Right? Ebenezer is a memorial stone from the old, it's an image from the Old Testament. And what they did is just from like 5 o'clock till midnight, had music, they had speakers giving testimonies, uh, they had, it ended with dancing and fireworks, right? So it's, it's just a massive celebration. And, and at the, the heart of mo- almost all the testimonies, and, the, and the, the preachers, the pastors, this is what they were saying. You made it another year. God did that. Right? You didn't get hit by a bus. Right? Your kids, you and your children survived malaria in the last year. Um, you had school fees. So your kids are going to school. Right? And they just went through all these concrete things that we take for granted, but because it's a dangerous, dangerous world, he said, give thanks to the Lord because you are alive. And then they ended with fireworks and dancing because they, they weren't a bunch of New England Presbyterians. <laughs> right? And so, like, if this is going to become really practical and, and, and heart-forming, um, how would you fill it, make this psalm your own? 
If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, I would have been fill in the blank. Right? What sins had you snared? What, what near-death experiences have you had? What griefs have threatened to swallow you up or wash over you like a flood? What hurts has God healed? Right? These are concrete historical moments in your life when the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, has shown up. And then if we're going to take the model here, it's saying, you know, bring that good news to the church, <laughs> to God's people, and let them join the chorus. And we can say, thank you, God, together. Right? It's, it's forming a testimony. Right? That was one of the greatest anxieties whenever you go to the African church. Um, just you being there, they're so honored that you're there. And they say, tell us what God is up to in your life. You don't have to be a pastor, right? Just every introvert's worst nightmare, to stand up and tell us what God is teaching you, right? Psalm 124 is preparing you for that moment. <laughs> here, right? Doing it here. Right? And what Psalm 124 is showing us is so often is faith is not forged when the sun is out, living in luxury. Faith is forged as you, after you have been set free from the snare, right? You could feel the, the rope around your neck and God intervened. But just, just by virtue of believing didn't protect you from that suffering. What the testimony is, God led me through it and he didn't leave me alone in the midst of it. Right. And so, it's the battle to, for gratitude. Which appears bigger to you, the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, or your trouble? And, and David is saying, look, the Lord, I mean, that line, maker of heaven and earth, is trying to show you, look at how big he is. He can lead you through any danger, any, any threat that death will bring. Now, second point here, how do we as Christians start to connect the dots to Jesus? How do we thank our deliverer? And let's come back to Naomi, all right? Was this an instant change? As you know, does Naomi instantly go from bitterness to blessed be the Lord? Blessed be the name of the Lord, if you know the story, right? Because what happens with Naomi is she's bitter, she's miserable, she tries to go home, and she says, tells her daughter, daughters-in-law, just stay in Moab, it'll be better for you, it's at least your people. But Ruth stubbornly disagrees. She says, I'm not going to leave you alone. Right? Ruth, it's one of the most astounding declarations of love in all of the Bible when she says to Naomi, as a foreigner willing to go be a refugee out of love for Naomi, she says, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you because where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. And may the Lord do that to me. Or, and, and even more, if anything but death separates me from you. Right? It's practically a wedding vow. Right? Just, just that intense level. Only death is going to separate us. Right? And what we, we learn is this was God's love for Naomi slowly 
being at work through her tragedy to lead her from bitterness back in, at least redeeming the, 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 the tragedy to, to return to gratitude. Because right? you follow the story, Ruth, as she's tr- looking for help because they have no, no uh, support system. She goes out looking for food. She just happens. That's the language. She just happens to come across Boaz's field who just happens to be a really good guy who l- keeps God's commands to care for the poor, who just happens to be a redeemer, uh, someone who's able to marry Ruth and by virtue of that marriage give Naomi a son and give a future and redeem the land that should have been hers, right? to give Naomi a future. Right? And the last portrait, of course, of Naomi is her tiny, um, tiny son through Boaz and Ruth just bouncing on her lap. And everyone is looking at Naomi and saying, blessed be the Lord because he did not leave you alone. He provided a redeemer. Right? See, how do we hear that language as Christians that we can know as followers of Jesus um, with death's dark shadow hovering over us, you know, with the snare wrapped around our neck, with the threat of the, the flood of grief, um, violent teeth aiming at us? How do we know that God will not leave, leave us alone? Right? We, we're given... Jesus. And Jesus leads a similar song as David, only he, he shows us God's rescue first. Right? Because what happens is Jesus, we'll, we'll apply this, what Jesus does is he embodies a better love than Ruth because not only does he say, I'm going to love you <laughs> until the very end, right? but he also is taking the curse for our sin and our unbelief. And so he's, he's volunteering to love us by saying, I am willing to let God forsake me so that you can know God will never leave you alone. That's how tightly bound he has joined himself to his church through his covenant. Right? The Lord, Yahweh, who is Jesus in the flesh, right? Jesus is Yahweh in the flesh. He lodges where we lodge. He became human, like us. And so identified with us in all of our suffering and all of our temptations to the point of death that he's buried in the ground. You can reread this psalm and say, what what was it like for Jesus to be on the cross? Well, he was swallowed alive by death. He was prey for the teeth of his enemies. You can read Psalm 22. It talks about roaring lions and and packs of snarling dogs that just tear him apart. He's God's suffering servant. He goes through a flood. Jesus alone describes the cross as a baptism type event, a flood of judgment that he is willing to endure so that we don't have to. Jesus was snared but not let go. He was nailed to the cross in love for us. All so that we can say what Paul says in Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And if God gave up his only son for us, how will we not also graciously give us all things? 
And that's when he goes on that majestic tour of saying, look, there is now nothing in all of creation that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. There is no suffering that can separate you because he's sworn to be with you even in death and to meet you on the other side. Resurrection. And so now what we have, every time we gather as a church, we have the reality of Psalm 124, right? In Psalm 124, it's King David, God's Messiah, God's anointed one, leaning the song of praise and saying, look, God was on our side. Everybody join in. And you know what the writer of the Hebrews does? He says, Jesus is not ashamed to call you brothers. He's not ashamed to call you sisters. And, and you know that because he is in the midst of God's people leading the song of praise. It's quoting Psalm 122. This is, this is from Hebrews 2. And so it goes on to say, this is Jesus leading the praise of God for his help. And what does that help look like? Well, it was Jesus becoming human, being tempted in every way we are, suffering. Um, I'll, I'll read it. It says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise partook of the same things, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. The idea is when we stand up and we say thank you to God, Jesus is calling us to do that not only through the gospel, <laughs> through his death and resurrection, but he's now interceding for us in heaven, sending his spirit to come down and say, let's give thanks to God together because you now have God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit on your side. Right? And he has delivered you from the fear of death. Right? And I've heard this illustration used. I think it was Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was walking down the road uh, with his kids, and one day they, they nearly got hit by a bus. Right? It's one of those moments where they're just grabbing him out of, the, out of danger, and they're, he's got to talk his kids down and calm them down, and and this is where he, he started to apply the gospel. He said, you know what the gospel tells us? Is that what Jesus did for us is allow us to go through that experience just like the bus. Did we get hit by the bus? No. We only got hit by the shadow of the bus. Right? So when you go through death, right, for the Christian who has put their faith in Jesus, who is alive, when you go through death, you're only being hit by the shadow of death. Because it's just a gateway to the new heavens and new earth. Right? And Jesus is leading this song and saying, look at, look at me, look at what I've done, look at what God has done. Let that go to work on your, your bitterness, your, your laments, your cynicism, and your doubt. If Jesus is alive, we have hope. Right? Jesus leads the praise as one who went down into death and God raised him up. That's the historical account that we go to to know God is on my side. And so what's the impact? Well, uh, gratitude. Uh, G.K. Chesterton is really poetic when he says, I would maintain that thanks are the highest form of thought, and that gratitude is happiness that is doubled by wonder. <laughs> He's calling us to, to say thank you. Right? because we are forever loved even through death 
And you can know, because Jesus is alive, awful circumstances are not signs of God leaving you. They're not signs of God looking for better options, a better Christian down the road, right? He's not tapping out on you. He's forging faith through the fire of that trial, right? The other thing this does, and it has done for the church, gives courage. If you know God is on your side, you can face hard things with tears and with hope, right? So I heard a great story, and this is how I'll end here, about a, a Christian name from Kenya named Harun Ringera. And uh, he grew up poor in, in northern Kenya. He's now part of a, a group called World Concern. And he was ministering with a, a group of Christians in South, South Sudan. Right? They're, they're bringing medicine. Uh, they're, they're supporting the local church. They're, they're being loved by this community. But in South Sudan, right, civil war is an ever-present threat. And he's telling the story about waking up one morning and just hearing the missiles, hearing, hearing the war coming closer and closer and closer to their village and trying to figure out as team leader, how in the world are we going to get out? Right? It feels just like David in Psalm 124. Right? The flood of violence is about to overwhelm them. Right? Through a whole bunch of wonderful care and, and the love of the locals, right? God allowed them to make an escape. Uh, in the middle of the night, they had to arrange a car. They had to persuade the rebels that they're, they're there loving the people and that we're not against you. We're just trying to leave. And God delivered them. God kept them safe. Right? If that's me, I need counseling. Right? <laughs> to, to think about going back is the furthest thing from my mind. But you know what he did a couple months later? They went back. Right? to the same town, to be with the same people. And he said, you know why? They're my family. Uh, they're my friends. They call me brother. They call me sister. They need help. And the idea is when you know that you have the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, when he has your back, that gives you courage to do things that look crazy to the world, uh, to take risks, to love people whoever they may be, in a war zone, in Saratoga County, all right? Learning to love as Jesus loved. Because if the Lord was not on our side, I could not do this. May that be your testimony. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for Jesus, whose love is fiercer than death, uh, that he has bound himself forever to us. And I pray for our hearts this morning that your spirit would make that real, present, a real and present help to us and uh, that we can leave from this place ready to construct a testimony uh, to your grace and goodness, that we can say like the hymn writer, uh, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Uh, your grace has kept me safe thus far, and it's your grace that will lead us home. And so we are looking to you for, to make that happen, Lord. Thank you for Jesus who's holding on to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.